Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Topic today is a glimpse into the mind of the Chazon Ish, exploring some of the most powerful letters of Rav Avrom, Yeshaya Karelitz, Zecher Tzadik, Kodesh Lavrocha. Uh, we have Dr. Meth with us this morning, and he'll actually be sharing the uh, estimated weight of the Chazon Ish. I have a story about that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very interesting story. Really? Let's hear it. Start us off with the story. So, Chazon Ish was known... I think it was Chazanish, was known for his expertise in medical things. So um, there was a guy who came to the Chazanish with a lung problem. He had this very serious lung problem, and he was told that it's very serious, but there's a doctor in Switzerland who could possibly treat, treat the condition. And he was debating, should I go to Switzerland, should I not go to Switzerland, what should I do? So he went to Chazonish, and Chazonish um, queried the guy in great detail in terms of what are the symptoms, what's the condition of the lung. And after a while, he came back and said, you stay in Eretz If you stay in Eretz you'll live. If you go to the guy in Switzerland, that's not a good thing. And sure enough, the guy stayed in Eretz and lived for ripe old age, and everything was cool. So they asked Chazonish, my high, honey. He said, I'm not a Navi, but when he described the machla, the condition, I remembered this in Shulchan Arach, in Yoridea, where it talks about trephos. There's a lung condition, very, very similar to the lung condition that was described. And the Beis Yosef paskins that the animal is kosher. The Ramah Paskins, the animal is trained. Now, the Beis Yosef lives in Eretz Yisrael. So I figured if you stay in Eretz Yisrael, we Paskin like the Beis Yosef, and you're okay. But if you go to Chutzla Eretz, then we have to Paskin like the Ramah, and you're Treif Chas so don't go there. And that's, that was his decision. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And the amazing thing is that there are many stories about the Chazanish and just his medical knowledge was, was immense. I have a little bit of a brief biographical sketch here in the beginning. Rav Ram Yeshaya was born in 1878 in Grodna. He was the eldest son of Rav Shmaryo Yosef Karelitz. He was the Rav of Kosovo. His mother was Russia, the daughter of Shal. You can pronounce that for me, doctor. Catherine Ellenbogen. Yes. It's a well-known name. <laughs> now, his younger brothers were Remeyer, Rebitzchak, and Remoshe. Uh, Rebitzchak took over his father's position as the rub of the city. Uh, he and his wife and daughter were shot to death in their home by Germans in the mid-1942. A sister, Miriam, would eventually marry Rev Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky, the stipler gone. So the stipler and the chazanish were brother-in-laws, and the stipler for his entire life, he was about 20 years younger than the chazanish. He would always refer to his brother-in-law as his teacher, his mentor. And as a youth, the chazanish went to study under the grade of Chaim Salavechik of Brisk, but it's pretty clear that he did not take to that system. There's actually a story where someone went to the chazanish, and they were presenting a hakira, two ways of viewing something. So he was saying, do you view it as a patur, 
or is it more just a din of, of being exempt from the mitzvah? <laughs> so the Chazani said, and if you knew a third language, would there be a third side of the Chakira? <laughs> so there was a certain style of learning that the Chazanish was not too impressed with. He was very, very much just the going for the amkus of the pshat, the depth of the most basic understanding. So after two years in Brisk, he returned home, and he continued his education, learning under his father at the, the local basin. His dream was to move to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, before that, though, in 1920, he moved to Vilna. And he became very close with Chaim Moser Gazinski, consulting him in all areas of Torah and Hashkafa. Um, he was a nister. A nister literally means one who lives his life behind the scenes. Literally, for the first 50 years of his life, no one heard of the Chazonish. He would sit in his little room in the middle of nowhere in Grodna, then in Vilna, learning and writing. He was a prolific author. The, the changing point, though, in his life was during a meeting at the home, uh, the home of, of Rav Chaim Ozer in Vilna. The Chafetz Chaim came to speak to some of the scholars of the city, and he was invited. He was known to be a scholar. And the Chafetz Chaim was telling them, it's an ace lasos Hashem." We need people out there. We need people who are Talmud Chachamim to reveal yourself and to change the world and become more of a public personality. And as he was saying those words, Chai Moser looks at the Chazanish and he nods his head. Yes, indeed, we do need more people. And the Chafetz Chaim said in his humility, he said, if I also devoted my life to my own Dalad Amos of Halacha and learning, and I wasn't involved with the Tsar Chetzibor. Even me, I could become a Gon also. <laughs> but Klai Yisrael needs us right now. And that was the changing point in the life of the Chazanish. Well, with the encouragement of Rav Chaim Moser and the help of Rav Ram Yitzchak HaKohen Cook, he was able to move to Eretz Yisrael. Rav Cook, we've mentioned before, one of the three personalities the Chazanish referred to as Moran, as our master. The Chafetz Chaim, I think it was Rav Chaim Ozer, and Rav Kook, Maran. The story goes that when he first got to Eretz Yisrael, there was a gathering of people. He was already somewhat known at that time. And uh, he was surprised, taken aback. Him and his wife were there. They never had any children. But uh, he was surprised at the large crowd. And he had no place to sleep. He had no plans of where to live. And the first question was, what do we do with Trumos and Maestros? We're going to see a letter that he wrote before he left Eretz Yisrael. That was the only thing on his mind. Going to Eretz Yisrael, we have unique mitzvos, and there are many different complicated sources. Many of us have learned those Mishnahis before. Not easy. That was the first question. Forget about where am I staying for tonight. What do you do with Trumos and Maestros? Of Karelet, who manifested unusual talent and diligence from an early age, he devoted his life to the study of Torah while simultaneously gaining, gaining knowledge in secular sciences such as astronomy, autonomy, mathematics, and botany. After his marriage, he continued to lead an extremely modest life. His wife was providing for their needs while he spent day and night studying Torah in depth. They did not have any children. 
want to read to you a couple of lines from the Hespid of Rav Aaron Cutler. When the Chazonish passed away, so Rav Aaron Cutler uh, eulogized him. I want to share with you a couple lines of his description of Rav Chazonish. He said, Lo ha'yerav v'lo Rosh Hashiva v'lo Rebbe the Chazanuish never took any position as a Rav of the city or as a Chosh of Rosh Hashiva. He lived his life as a regular Balabayas. But it was only because of that, because he stayed away from any prominent position, he was able to accomplish things that most people don't accomplish. He didn't have the, the need to prepare and give a shir to his students. People were not coming to him, at least in his earlier years, constantly with questions and complex issues of halacha. He didn't have the burden of guiding the tzibur. He was able to channel all of his energies to the sanctity of learning without anything constraining him or limiting him. What's interesting about this line is that for most human beings, having a hechrech is very, happy, is very helpful. The fact that you have to give a shear so that will encourage you to learn something well. I have to have clarity to give it over. The fact that uh, people are going to ask me questions in halacha, so that's a good motivation to learn the halacha well. So for most people, having a position is almost a necessity to keep on growing. For the Chazonish, because he was so internally motivated by him not having a position, he was able to accomplish more. Rav Aaron continues. He says, There are many great minds out there in the Torah world that write Svarim. But many of them choose the places in Shas where it's more of a deep idea and there's room for Chiddush, room for innovation. But other places that are more technical or not as exciting, they might not learn those places of Shas with the same level of intensity. And for sure when it comes to those places in the Gemara or Shulchan Aruch, where it gets very technical with mathematics and different calculations, many people neglect those sections. But when it came to the Chazanish, he viewed Torah, everything was equal to him. His whole goal was, I just want to learn Torah in its truth. I want to understand every facet of Torah to its ultimate depth. Towards the end of the Hesped, he says, that the Chazanish, he would think, you know, he was living a life of seclusion. Uh, he was somewhat of a loner. When people would greet him, maybe he wasn't so friendly. He kept to himself. Rav Aaron says that the opposite is true. 
when he would schmooze with people, the person sitting across the table would feel like he has nothing else to do but listen to my problem and help me find a solution. That he would greet everyone with a smile, a warm, sincere smile. And with his mesirus, with his dedication to every individual, he would listen to their case, to their issue, if it was a halachic problem, if it was a marriage problem, if it was a hashkafic, anything it was, he would view it as a sugya and shas. Let me try to understand every aspect and help you the best I can. Rav Ari concludes the Hespid. He says, Ach hanakuda hamarkozis v'hamarchos hi lihisbonein lahakir shekol hamadregos hagadula shehesik that everything the Chazonish was able to attain throughout his life. V'keser sheim tov she'ola al gebehen hakol al yedei amolo b'torah l'shma It was through his toiling, through his amelus in Torah l'shma. And staying away from being rodeif, achara, hevel, from chasing or pursuing after kavod, all the things that are so worthless, all the illusions of olam hazeh. Staying away from kavod, ba'ofin nifla, in a way that it's hard to relate to. That was the success of the chazanish. It wasn't about the position, if I went my whole life and no one ever heard of me, that's okay. I just want to learn to the best of my abilities and share my chadushim with the world. Let's take a look at some of the letters here. <clears throat> so on page two, this is letter Chaf, where he's actually responding to a young man learning in yeshiva, giving him six different ideas of how to conduct himself. And the first one is interesting. It says, Lizohir ma'od ma'od mechilas tanug. Be very careful to avoid indulgence in food. Eating too much can be a ma'akev. It could prevent one's understanding of Torah. So don't get too involved with gashmias. That's number one. Uh, probably both. Probably both. You don't have the same energy. Perhaps I can't learn as well or for as long. And uh, he goes on to say it clouds the mind to some degree. No, he's focusing on indulgence in food, eating too much just for the pleasure. Right? The Rambam writes in the Shemona Prokim, um, he says, one who eats because it tastes good is no better than a behemoth. <laughs> he was a doctor, you know, you have to eat what's healthy for the body. What else are you doing? Number two, we should always daven that Hashem should help us and save us from the Yetzahara. You could daven in any language you want as long as it's sincere. There's stories of the Chazanish that he was in the middle of learning and after hours and hours of trying to figure something out, they would get to a brick wall and they didn't know where to go. So he would pause for a moment walk to the corner of the base medrash and he would just daven with all of his heart please help me re- re- reveal the emes to me so I think that's an important nakuda. how often do we daven that Hashem should give us siyata deshmaya in our avodas Hashem we daven for parnasa, we daven for a fuwa these are things that are easy to relate to 
but to daven, Hashem, give me more amun and bitachon. Hashem, give me more of an interest in learning. So the question is, how could bidei shemayim chutz miyirah shemayim? So how are you spalil? You know, So that happens to be a, a very fundamental question in the bracha of hashivenu. The bracha in shmanes we say, Hashem, bring us back. It sounds like we're saying, do tshuva for us. So Ramosha has a tshuva on that, where he has the question, how is it possible to ask for Hashem to do tshuva? The, the basic answer, and there are others, the Chazonish actually has a pshat as well. Good morning, Mr. Schechter. Saturday will have to be Sunday will have to be the Sabbath. Make sure I keep you all great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 uh, Ramosha says the Pshad is we're asking for Siyata to ask Hashem for assistance is not in contradiction to Hakolbe de Shemayim Chutzmiyir Shemayim. Number three, and this really, you know, this was who the Chazanish was. Don't do anything in life that's coming from the desire of honor. I'm doing this because I want other people to appreciate, to validate, to praise, to laud. Not only should I try not to do things motivated from kavod, but I should try to stay away from things that could bring me kavod. Run away from kavod like poison. Yeah, if we're honest with ourselves and we ask, how many, how many things do we say to others, or how many things do we do, the main intent is, I want you to think a certain way of me. Oftentimes, my whole perception of myself as I'm speaking to you is based on the way I perceive your perception of me. And I want to fit that mold and play the game. Number four, which is a very interesting piece of advice, be very careful. Don't do things that are strange. Don't do things that make you stick out. There's no need to express your individuality by making it clear that everyone else sees that you're an individual. Because of anything that's really counterproductive. If you don't really care what they think, and you just want to be you, so then the whole notion of expressing individuality is an inherent stereotype. You can be your own person, but don't stick out. Number five, try your best not to fall into a situation where you have to borrow money. Sometimes it happens to the best of us, but try your best. Don't live a life where you're constantly borrowing. And number six, and the final piece of advice, this is regarding learning, la'ayin b'marsha. You should always look at the marsha. And this was a classic, his approach to learning in general. Don't get swept away with the raid. With, uh, you know, you can say it like this, you can say it like that. Learn it carefully, line by line. Understand what's the question of Tosfos, what's the answer. Look at the marsha. Elishul me'cherim ba'nava v'lo be'geyus. And when you're asking questions, Ask from a source of humility, not based on arrogance. 
remember in, in yeshiva, so the yeshiva that I come from is a place where they definitely encourage questioning, where there's a lot of lively and robust debate. But oftentimes you could tell when someone was asking a question, it could be very passionate and very emotionally charged, but sometimes you could pick up on, is it coming from a place of, I'm just mevakesh emes. I want to know the truth over here, and this doesn't make sense, and therefore I'm disturbed by it. Or is it coming from a place of, I want you all to hear that I have a great question. That's a subtlety. So we have to be careful that when we ask and we probe and explore, it's just coming from that true desire to understand. It's not coming from a place of arrogance. Okay. Um, on the top left is a piece from the Sefer, the Chazonish, um, known as the Mudan Bitachon, along the similar theme of staying away from Kavod. He says that as one gains in wisdom, Yuzlu be'enav ha'garm hazolim l'chavod meduma, then all those things that bring one to the illusion of Kavod become disgusting. Gaining true wisdom of Torah brings one into a life of light. Where all of those things, I'm pursuing validation, I'm, 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 I'm getting angry at people for, you know, my expectations in life are not being met. You could transcend all of that by, by saturating oneself with the Chachma of Torah. It brings one to a life of the, the expansion or the transcendence of the soul. A, a life where you're living above ground, so to speak. All of these things come from acquiring Chachma. I'll just do one more paragraph here. He says, "Vasher or hasagula hazeh meyer umezachek as hanefesh ba'alov liros or noga v'noam tov tam v'das." As we grow in our wisdom and we have more of a sense of beauty and pleasantness within the wisdom of Torah, v'oheves ha'nova b'tivo, we come to grow to the to the love humility naturally. V'sona es hagavus b'tivo, and we grow to hate arrogance naturally. And we love generosity. Because the aspiration of every wise man is to, to fix his midos. And when I see within myself things that are negative, things that are bringing me down, anger, jealousy, arrogance, that brings me so much pain. Listen to this line, this is so powerful. There is no greater pain to the wise man than stumbling in a bad midah. Now, I think that line is super empowering because sometimes, and we all do this, we all make mistakes. We all say something we feel bad we said. We all do something that we regret. How could I have been so narrow-minded? How could I have let myself get so angry? Whatever the case may be. And then we get really down on ourselves. But says the Chazanish, when you're in that state where you feel terrible 
about the thing that you said or the action that you did, that should bring you a sense of joy, that you realize the fact that I care so much about this means that I'm on the right track. The fact that I'm obsessing about the way I spoke to my wife is a good thing. The fact that I'm feeling pangs of guilt means that I have a she'ifa for godless. Because there's no greater pain to the chacham than acting in a way that we feel is just inappropriate. Ve'ein simcha lechacham kesimchosu al tikkun midosav and there is no greater joy to the wise man than being able to push against one's teva. Knowing that naturally I would respond like this, but I was able to hold myself back. Chosim piv. That's the greatest joy in the world. Question, Rabbi Goldstein. And, and if I was a Navi, I would assume this is going somewhere along the lines of Musr, Torah. We have this, we have this innate connection, Rabbi Goldstein and I. <laughs> What's the question, though? How would you express it? We're going to quote that Chazanish. So to, to quote Rabbi Goldstein, let's take a look. This is the paragraph right underneath the Chazanish earlier on in Perak Dalid, where he speaks about simplifying life. Here he talks about the, the rectification of Midos. We'll read from the underlying part. There are many good midos. You look at the table of contents in the Orcha Siddiquim. Many good things to strive for, many, good, many bad things to avoid. Says the Chazanish, there's only one good midah and one bad midah. What's the bad midah? to allow yourself to go on autopilot, to let things happen naturally. That's the bad midah. Because you don't have to try very hard to be a sholem in every bad midah possible. Without any effort, you could be a wonderful kasan and you could destroy people with your anger. You could be a, a magnificent person who takes revenge. You could be the most arrogant in the world. <laughs> you will be lacking none of the terrible midos that the Chachamim speak about if you do nothing. Hence, the only real bad midah is doing nothing. <laughs> what is the good midah? <laughs> The only good midah is making a decision that I will not live my life naturally. I will not just let things happen. I will not allow myself to react. But I want to fight against my nature and work on doing what's right. And you can't have this half-baked. If you have a haskama, if you have this conviction, it's got to be real. I think this approach answers a famous question. 
we know that there's a machlokus amongst the Rishonim how to define Yetzer HaTov and Yetzer HaRa. So one approach you'll find in many sources is that it's, it's a mystical battle. Yetzer HaRa is a koach hatuma. It's a force of evil in the world that's compelling me to go in a bad direction. And the Yetzer HaTov is the force of Kedusha. Other Rishonim seem to say that it's more of a rational machlokus, a rational battle, where the koach, the yetzahara, is just the physical, the animalistic tendencies, and the yetzahatov is the seichel, being able to have the intellect overpower the animal. So the question I was bothered by is that I understand in the first system, if it's a koach atuma versus koach of kedusha then the title Yetzahara and Yetzahatov, those titles make sense. If it's the animal, the physical, versus the seichel, the intellect, it's not good versus bad. The physical is, isn't bad, and the intellect isn't naturally good. They could, the intellect can lead you to think of very creative and brilliant ways of killing millions of people. And the physical is useful because we use the body for many productive purposes. So why is it called Yetzahara and Yetzahatov? So I think based on the Chazanish, the answer is, if you do nothing, where will this lead you? If I don't use the intellect to overpower the natural animal instinct, that will lead me to kinna, taiva, kavod, stealing, murdering. That's why it's called Yetzahara. The body unchecked by the seichel will lead you in an evil direction. Now the seichel, without the bias of the body, that will lead you to accomplish good things. So essentially it's Yetzir Hara versus Yetzir Hatov. But the Chazonich says, don't confuse yourself. It's all about coming to that conviction. Am I willing to take a stand and fight against that which is natural or not? I want to share with you in a different vein. He speaks about how to analyze a halachic question. <coughs> He was confronted with some of the most, most complex issues of his time. You know, the famous questions of uh, the, the dateline controversy and others. So how do you analyze any halachic issue? So he writes, Birur mishpap and shnaim. It's divided to two categories. Ha'iyun ha'rishon lahanif ha'solis hanaki ha'torim. The first step is clarifying the, all of the halachic Torah sources. Second part is understanding the reality of what's happening, knowing the mitzvahs. How does it work? How does it function? What are all the things that are, that are relevant to the issue? So you have to know both the halacha and also the mitzvahs. The Rambam, this is actually in the, the introduction to the translation of the Rambam, where the Matargim says, in order to translate something well, you have to know three things. You have to know the original language, you have to know the content, and you have to know the language you translated into. So I've heard Rebelsky quote that many times before. And he makes the application to pasketing any, any situation in halacha. 
You have to know three things. You have to know the original Torah sources, what, what is said, Gemara, Shaz, Shulchan Aruch. You have to know what was actually going on in those times before you have the audacity to say, well, nowadays it's different. You have to first know, well, what was it like in the 1500s? Regarding this issue, was there a major difference? We hear people say, based on total ignorance, you know, the reason why the Torah says that lighting a fire in Shabbos is malacha, because in those days, it took hours and hours to rub the flintstones together. That's why it was a malacha. Oh, interesting. Only problem is, if you go back in time and do a little bit of historical research, 3,300 years ago, there were very sophisticated ways of lighting a fire without rubbing stones together. So you have to know what was going on in those times. You have to know what the Torah sources are. You have to know what's going on in our times and how to apply it. All right. This is a great letter about accepting a young man into yeshiva. I think those of us who are parents of precocious children will gain some level of nechama from this letter. And perhaps we were precocious ourselves. Ayin Hay on the top of page three. He says, I received your letter regarding a young student in the yeshiva, and you're asking me to tell you a little bit about him. So he says, in Yono Bal Kishron, he's a smart boy. Yeshbo Gam Neimus, and he also has a pleasantness to him. Hu Gam Mutrad Minhayetzer, he is distracted by the Yetzihara. He's involved with things that are taking him away from his learning. Listen to this line. Kederech bal kishron er. And this is the way of a smart one who's awake. If you're a young man and you're living life with your eyes open and you have a natural sense of creativity and, and brilliance, then that's usually what happens. You should know, only these types of personalities will make it big one day. And so the fact that he's a chutzpanyak, the fact that he's distracted by the Yetzer, don't let that faze you. That means he has tremendous potential to be a Gadol be Yisrael. What's that? What's that? I skipped it on purpose. <laughs> Lamed um, Zion. <laughs> this is also this is a great letter. So often in these letters, you, you, he's not talking about himself, but, but, but he was. His description of what a Talmud Chacham is, is most likely the life that he was living. Listen to Lamed Zion. He says, Tov ma'odi yuncha l'sadar dover dover al-ofno v'ikr segula satora l'hoviyas adam romos ilah. He says, you've done a wonderful thing by arranging whatever he was doing, writing a book or something. And the ikr segula satora is that it brings one to a lofty level, l'hakir chavaso ba'olamo, to recognize his obligation in the world. Where does that clarity come from? Ba al yedei amola shel Torah that comes through toiling in Torah. 
And the more one exerts himself in Torah, the more he frees himself from the onslaught of the Yetzer. And also he becomes disgusted by all of the physical indulgences. And his neshama yearns for those feelings of Kedusha and the, the pleasure of wisdom. So he's telling you what happens when you learn Torah by Melus, but it sounds like he's also describing himself. He experienced this. Uh, this is a letter where he was uh, confronted with the question, should we have a public fast day to commemorate the Holocaust? And this is a big issue of the time. Um, Rabbi Yamin Mendelssohn was of the opinion that we should do something. This is the greatest, most horrific tragedy in Jewish history. How could we not have a day set aside for mourning? And uh, in the letter, he quotes the Taz. The Taz, who lived in the 1600s, he established the 20th of Sivan to be a fast for the Cossack uprisings that took place in 1648 and 49. Yeah. So uh, Mendelssohn was saying, we have a precedent for this. <coughs> the Chazanish wrote back, he says, that's true, the Taz was able to establish a fast day, the 20th of Sivan. But he says there are two points to consider. Number one, there's nowhere in the writings of the Taz where he says, this should be observed for all generations. For his time, it was right after, he felt that was appropriate. But there's nowhere in the, and, and, and for anyone to say, there's nowhere in the writings of the Taz. <laughs> if you learn Yeridea, he's a lot to say all throughout Yeridea. There's nowhere in the writings of the Taz where he says, this should be followed for generations to come. So he says, you can't prove from the Taz that we could create new innovations um, for all of Kalal Yisrael. And the second thing is the Taz was the Taz. We don't have that stature, we don't have that scope to be able to do something so drastic. And here we have the letter, which is read together from uh, the third paragraph. It says, For us to be able to establish a fast day for all generations would really be like a mitzvah derbanan. But how can we have the brazenness, the audacity to do something for a generation where it's better, better to accept silence? to create something for generations to come. We're living in a time where we're saturated, we're, we're dirty with the Averos and the, and the lack of clarity that we have. We're so far removed from the Torah and we're, we're empty of the mitzvahs. Therefore, let us not approach things that are really greater than ourselves. Let us just focus on doing tshuva. This is our only chava we have. Some quote this chazanish in reference to the idea of Yom Atzma'ut.
Right? Can we make Yom Atzmaut an official holiday? Should we say Hallel on that day? On one hand, it's a time of Nisim. On the other hand, perhaps this same Hashkafa applies. We don't have the ability or the authority to create new holidays. <clears throat> Let's end off here with Mem Zion. <clears throat> he speaks about helping y- younger students in the yeshiva. Kamuvan bizman hazeh hatzolas yelid lechinuch Yisraeli. He says it's clear that nowadays saving a child and giving him a Jewish education, it is no less than saving a child from drowning in the river. And depending on the age of the student, there's potential to really create a Talmud, someone who could gain a lot of Torah and pass it on to his children and grandchildren. Bizman in a short amount of time. It just requires paying attention and taking the time. He says, you could have the older Bachim and the yeshiva take a half an hour out of their day. It could be during breakfast or lunch, and that could save someone's life. But that was his view of Limud HaTorah. How amazing would that feel? You're walking to yeshiva, or you're walking to the car, and right by the canal, there's a, a, a young boy, four years old, screaming, and he's drowning in the canal. And you drop everything and run and jump into those disgusting waters, and you save the child's life. You would remember that for the rest of your life. You would tell your grandchildren about that heroic day where you had the schus to save a child's life. In, in the worldview of the Chazanish, sharing Torah, taking a kid who's in yeshiva who's not doing well, which we all know, you know, is it a bad system, is it a good system? But this is the system. If a kid is not into learning, then his Judaism is in jeopardy. That is the reality of life. If you could help him have a chavrusa, then you're saving his life. So a couple little insights into the mind of the Chazanish. Some of these things may be lofty to strive for, but to have a little bit of a picture of the godless, of the shifa, of his love for Torah and Chachmah, and the understanding that when we develop that, so many of these base, physical illusions of Olam Hazeh fade away. It's a very powerful insight. Yeah. 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 Yeah.